We are uh, in a series called Highlights from 1 Samuel, and I really want people to help to just enjoy the Old Testament, not only as history, not only as beautiful writing, but also the amazing ways that God has revealed himself to us through the Old Testament, and he reveals Christ to us through the Old Testament. So 1 Samuel chapter 2. Now, if you are familiar with the movie Chariots of Fire, uh, you might know the story of Eric Little, who was a Christian missionary, a young man who also was really good at running. And uh, he trained to compete in the 1924 Olympics in, in the 100-meter race. But when the heat for the 100-meter race was switched to a Sunday, because of his convictions to keep the Sabbath holy, he would not run in that race. He'd been training for years. He was favored to win the gold, but because they moved the heat to, a, to Sunday, he would not compete on that day. Now, a lot of people thought he was crazy to throw away his opportunity to win a gold medal and crazy to throw away the years of training. His coaches tried to talk him into relaxing his convictions just this once. But little held to his convictions. And when the opportunity was offered to him by a teammate to take his place in the 400-meter race on a different day, he gratefully accepted. Problem was, little was a 100-meter runner. And this was four times that distance. <clears throat> and so nobody thought he would be able to win this race. The American coaches dismissed him and uh, told their athletes that he's not a, a threat to them just before the race began. One of the American runners, Jackson Schultz, handed Little a note. And that note read as follows. It says in the old book, he that honors me, I will honor. And then he ended the note, good luck. Little went on to win the 400 meter race, gold medal. He had honored God and God indeed honored him. Now that verse that Jackson Schultz handed him before the race, is a verse that was given to Eli the priest, who we met last week in chapter 1, by an unnamed man of God who came with the word of the Lord for Eli. And I want to read the whole verse, and then we'll back up to see how we got to this verse. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30. This is God speaking. Those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Let's pray together. Father, we want to honor you this morning with our hearts, not just our words. We want to honor you with everything in us because we know that you are God and you are good. You are worthy of our honor this morning. So as we sit under your word, I pray that you will open our hearts, open our eyes, help us, Lord God, let the light in, let the light in to shine upon us 
that we might honor you more fully with our hearts and lives. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. I was working at Barnes & Noble one day, uh, some years back, and I looked up and I saw I was right in front of the self-help section. And I was amazed at how many self-help books there are. There are millions of uh, books written every year, sold every year. It's a hot commodity, how to do better in life, how to deal with anxiety, uh, how to succeed in the workplace, succeed in your marriage, succeed in your relationships, how to be more productive, um, enjoy life more, you name it. You name it, there's a book to tell you how to do it better. And I think the demand for these books shows that uh, for many of us, we think we could be living a better life than we are right now. I want to submit to you this morning, this one verse holds far more power to enable our lives to be lived well, to enable us to succeed, not as necessarily American ideas define success, but really succeed and live a wise, productive life. Uh, more power to help us do that than all the self-help books combined. Thus says the Lord, those who honor me, I will honor. Those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. There's a contrast here that runs throughout 1 Samuel chapter 2, and in fact, for the next several ver uh, chapters, between those who honor God and those who don't. We see the contrast as we close with Hannah, her wonderful prayer of praise to God. And then she leaves her son that God gave her, Samuel. She leaves him. She gives him to the Lord all the days of his life. And so Samuel is there left with the priest Eli to serve the Lord. And then we meet the contrast to him in the form of Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And we first meet them in chapter 2, verse 12. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. I think the NIV captures that idea better. They were scoundrels. They did not regard the Lord. They had no regard for the Lord. Now that's bad enough, but these two men are priests. They are religious leaders. They are serving in the house of God. They have responsibility and role and privilege in the house of God. So these are the men who are leading spiritually Israel. And they don't know the Lord. And they have no regard for God. And they do not honor God in any way. They have no respect for God. So to them, the position of priest was there for them to exploit and take advantage of God's people. And that's exactly what they would do. As worshipers brought their offerings to the tent, to the tabernacle, to offer to God, and they would bring their very best food and meats and, and such, Hophni and Phinehas would steal that food, say, we're taking that food. We want the best. We don't even just want it the boiled. We want the fresh meat. They, they just wanted what, what was meant to be given to God. They said, give it to us. And they said, in fact, if you don't give it to us willingly, we're going to take it by force. 
Can you, can you imagine in the house of God, you know, if, if you don't give us your best, we're going to take it by force. That's what they were doing. And that's not all they were doing. They were sleeping with the women who were, who were serving at the entrance of the temple. This is, this is complete depravity. And this isn't like somewhere out there in some bar. This is in the house of God. Offerings being stolen, sexual immorality, the spiritual state of Israel spiraling downwards because guess what? Everybody's seeing this. These are our spiritual leaders committing this. So you have some people who just say, What's, it's not worth anything, and others saying, Yahoo, we're going to sin too. So you have some people disillusioned, does God mean anything? You have other people saying, let's go off whole hog and sin as well. And this is the state of Israel, and Hophni and Phinehas are living high on the hog, literally, but what they don't know is that God is watching. Verse 17. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord. For the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. What they did was very evil in the sight of of the Lord. He was watching. And verse 18 paints the contrast. The very next verse. Samuel was ministering before the Lord. A child clothed, a boy clothed with a linen ephod. God also saw a young boy named Samuel. He's just a boy. He's just a kid. But he's quietly ministering before God. He's quietly giving honor to God. No fanfare. Nothing amazing. He's not a priest yet. Just a boy. Sincerely honoring God. And it pleased God. And God saw Phineas and Hophni and he saw Samuel and the first thing I want to point out to us is we, is we want to honor God. Amen with our lives? We want to honor God. First thing we need to do to honor God, we need to recognize we live our lives in the sight of the Lord. We live our lives in the sight of the Lord. When we post something on Facebook, we're very selective about what we post, aren't we? If you have a Facebook account. We're very selective about what we post. We post a sanitized version of our lives. Those who have YouTube channels, you probably do even more. You edit that little piece that you show. And, and uh, you know, you might take 50 takes to have that one spontaneous moment that you want to show the world. Uh, oh, this is me just, you know, rolling out of bed. And it's taking you five hours to get that, that moment <laughs> captured. We all do that. We all do that. We also do it in every moment in life. I mean, we, you know, I, I don't think, looking at you guys, you all look great this morning. None of you just rolled out of bed and came to church, you know. Um, we get ready. 
we get we put on our best face we put our best foot forward um and you know what we do that and i don't think that's a bad thing i don't think i don't want us to just roll out of bed and come to church i think it's good because um <clears throat> uh we need some privacy. You know, privacy is a healthy thing. It's, uh, it's a good thing, being, being uh, discreet about life. But the point is, when we show ourselves, we try to pick and choose, hey, this makes me look good. Hey, this makes me a happy moment. Hey, this looks like I'm living an interesting life. Let me show this to the world. Imagine if your life was a real-life Truman Show. 24-7, 365 days a year, you were being watched. Imagine that. Imagine you're always on camera. Well, in a sense, we are. In a sense, we are. We live our lives in the sight of the Lord. Nothing is hidden from God. God sees everything we do. But take it a step higher. He knows everything we think. He knows every motive of our heart. God knows everything. We are totally exposed to God. No wonder the psalmist cries out to God in Psalm 139. Where could I go? from your presence. If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I descend into hell, you are there. Darkness is as light to God. There is nowhere to hide from God. Nowhere where he's not, his piercing gaze is not seeing us. Oh, you know, there could be a whole message about the gaze. You know, a big part of our fear and terror is being exposed. Do you know that? Is being ashamed. Is being seen. Well, we are seen. And we are exposed a whole lot more than I'm comfortable being exposed before God. Now, as if that's not intense enough, try this on. The Bible says that what we do in secret will one day be shouted from the rooftops. God's not good at keeping secrets. He's not good at keeping secrets. Our secrets will one day make front page news. God's gaze sees everything. One day he will expose everything for all to see. Nothing stays hidden forever. It made me think, for several decades, I had respected and admired the author and, and apologist, Rabbi Zacharias. I looked at him as a strong Christian and a brilliant writer, read his books, listened to him on the radio. And so I was, like so many people, incredibly disappointed and surprised when it was revealed after his death that he had sexually harassed and abused several women under his employ and for many years carried on secret relationships with women other than his wife. He managed to keep all this hidden for the most part and secret until after he died. 
Honestly, I think that's worse because now his family's left with the, 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 and he, he doesn't even have the opportunity to say, please forgive me or, or anything. But it all came out. It all became front page news after he died. In the same way, one day our secrets will be exposed for everyone to see. So an important step towards honoring God is to recognize we live in the sight of the Lord. There are no basements. There are no closets. There are no secret places where God doesn't see us. We don't get away with anything. Now, that's not scary to you if you are perfect. If you never sin, you never think a bad thought, you never do a bad thing, you never, then that's not scary at all to you. But I want to tell you that makes me a bit uncomfortable. That drives us to the gospel. The idea that God is just a great guy up there and he's just like, you know, rocking in the heavenly rocking chair and he's just, you know, kind of like smiling down and digging everything and is so far from the scriptures. God is a holy God. He cannot allow the smallest sin in his presence. He must punish with judgment the smallest of sin. We would wither under his piercing gaze. We would not stand for a moment except for the gospel. As the psalmist says in uh, Psalm 130, if you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who, who could stand? He says, Lord, twice. If you, O oh Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, Lord, who could stand? Listen to this. But with you, there is forgiveness. So that we can with reverence serve you. I love that. It sets us free to not live in condemnation, but serve the Lord. Honor him. With you. There is forgiveness. Don't you love that? We took communion this, together this morning. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus covers our sins. He covers our sins. But I want to say this. He doesn't cover our sins with secrecy. He covers them with forgiveness. He covers them with his own blood shed on the cross. He covers them with mercy. But he doesn't cover our sin with secrecy. Now, before I end this point, I want to just say, because on our level, the Bible says that love covers a multitude of sins. And I want to suggest to you that love covers a multitude of sins, and it's speaking horizontally, how we treat one another, that love doesn't cover a multitude of sins with secrecy, it covers a multitude of sins with privacy. It doesn't go shouting out people's sins and exposing them. See, privacy is a good and healthy thing. To work through something or pray for someone without exposing them, calling the newspaper and saying, hey, I know that, uh, you know, Bill's been struggling with this thing. I just wanted the world to know so they could pray for him. You know, that's, that's gossip. Gossip is wanting to expose someone's sin so that it hurts their reputation and makes them look bad. And that, the Bible says, is sin. It's wrong. Love covers. You should be able to come to someone who loves you and you share your heart with them and you share a deep, dark sin with them and they're going to love you and they're going to cover you with love and they're not going to blab it. They're going to hold it in privacy. 
If there's anybody else that needs to be brought in, it'll be those who can come in to help, but they're not just exposing. So that's really important. So the reason I say that's privacy, and privacy is a good thing, is because secrecy is different. Secrecy is this. It's, it's writing books about integrity while carrying on an affair in secret. It's, it's doing one thing in public and then doing something completely different that shatters the public thing in secret. That's secrecy. It's thinking no one will ever know. Well, God knows. That's God saw Hophni and Phineas, and he knows. He sees. The more we recognize our lives are lived out completely, 24-7, 365 days a year in the sight of the Lord, the more we want to walk in the light, the more we want to be honest with God. Amen? Be sincere with God. Be real with God. You're not going to be perfect. That's why we need Jesus. But, but we don't want to be raging hypocrites either. We want to be sincere with God and walk in the light. We try to live holy, and when we sin, we have a mediator, Jesus Christ, who forgives us our sins as we bring it to God and confess it to God and, and receive that forgiveness. In Jesus' name, we live our lives in the sight of God. The second thing I want to point out from this passage, and we're not even really, we're going to look at more of the story next week, but honoring God, honoring God means doing the right thing even when it's the hard thing. I want to go back to Samuel chapter 2, beginning in verse 22. We once again find this contrast. Those who honor me, I will honor those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. Contrast. Here we have this contrast in verse 22. It says this, Now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear that the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? Listen to this. But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Contrast, verse 26. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. This is a sad part of the story and it's gonna get sadder. But here's what I wanna point out. It might seem that by rebuking his sons for their sin, Eli did the right thing and honored God, but he didn't. Eli rebuked his sons. He should have removed them from their position. Their sin was doing damage to God's people. It says to all of Israel's. His, their sin was doing damage to God's name and reputation. And Eli was simply, you guys shouldn't do that. Eli was a good man in the sense that he did love God. 
And he wanted the honor of God to be upheld. He really did. We'll see that as we move further. But he took no action. He took no action. And in fact, he dishonored God by aligning himself more with his, son, with his sons than with God. And so uh, an unnamed man of God comes to Eli with the word of the Lord. And here's what he says in verse 29. After saying, I have called your family to the priesthood. Eli was a priest for 40 years. And I've favored you with all of this. Verse 29, why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling? And listen to this, and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel. Eli was taking what his sons were stealing for himself. He didn't remove them from their role, which was a, a, a high role of spiritual responsibility. And he took the food they were stealing and ate it for himself. And that dishonored God. Eli was a good man, but he took the easy road in a hard situation. Do you know, you ever tempted to do that? I know I've been. To honor God, we are, we need to be committed to do the right thing, even when it's the hard thing. And sometimes the right thing is the hard thing to do. Your boss asks you to fudge some numbers. Everybody's doing it. You might lose your job. Sometimes the right thing to do is the hard thing to do. Eric Little's story that I opened up with, while making a great movie, might seem a little strange to many of us today. Because honestly, it's rare to find that kind of conviction in a person anymore. We might even think it's legalism. We might even say, well, that's just legalism. And certainly someone could have this strong stand to hold the Sabbath holy out of legalistic heart. I mean, the Pharisees did. They were constantly coming to Jesus with this, this legalistic rule about the Sabbath, missing the whole heart of it from God. So certainly we could do these things out of legalism. But here's, here's what I want to kind of close with encouraging us, let's not confuse conviction with legalism. Because if we do that, what we end up with is this. Conviction equals legalism, convenience equals grace. If it's hard, it's legalistic. If it's easy, it's grace. And you can feel how that dishonors God. He becomes the easy road. He becomes the, he asks nothing of me. He becomes the thing we, we, we hold the, high, the lowest rather than the highest. It's a wrong road.
When we mix truth, the truth of God's Word, with a resolve to want to obey that, we get convictions. Convictions are to our faith what bones are to our body. It gives us the strength, the solidity to stand for something instead of just being mush in our faith where we just kind of mush everything. Strength to do what's right when it's hard. Strength to honor God when it's way easier not to. That's the purpose of convictions. Convictions are not there so that we can earn God's, you know, I've got this conviction. They're not there to earn salvation. They're there to honor God. I have convictions to honor God. And by the way, convictions, unless, unless the Bible is crystal clear on something, please understand, convictions can be different from one person to the next. Everybody in America doesn't, or actually he's English, everybody in England doesn't have to have the same conviction that Eric Little had. But he had that conviction and it was to the core of his heart. But convictions are to honor God. They're not to earn salvation. They're also not to look more spiritual. You know, well, I can't do that because I have convictions. In fact, keep your convictions as quiet as you can. You're not trying to flaunt them. Hey, I do this, I do that. They're not there to earn people's, oh, wow. They're there to honor God. I believe God has put this in my heart to do this or not do this. And I want to do it to honor God who saved me through his mercy. Biblical conviction is backbone to do what God's Word says when it's hard. Now, when God's Word is clear, we should all stand shoulder to shoulder on that. Amen? And we're in a day where a lot of people, a lot of ideologies, a lot of things are going completely 180 degrees against God's Word. And we have got to make a choice. Do I want my culture to like me or do I want God to be honored? Do I want everybody to agree with me? Or do I want God to be pleased? We're going to have that more and more. Convictions moves us to do things even when it's not what we want to do. To do good to people in need. When we'd rather, you know, we can't do everything. But when God puts it in our heart, we want to be that, have that heart. Conviction gives us strength to love our spouse we may not feel like it or it's not easy to do that. Conviction tells us and calls us to forgive when our hearts really want to hold on to forgiveness. Forgiveness is not a, hey, you know, I'd like to when, I, when it's easy. I believe in forgiveness. It's a conviction. Conviction gives us faith to tithe when our checkbooks say, I could really use that money. God's tested me on that more than once. Conviction empowers us to serve when we don't want to. Conviction moves us. And, and by the way, let me just say this. Everything I just said could be done out of legalism. Everything I just said could be preached in a legalistic way. You need to. You need to. But everything I just said is a command from Scripture. So what conviction does is it takes the Word of God, it internalizes it, it says, God, I want to obey this. I want to have a resolve. Holy Spirit, enable me. But I'm not a jellyfish. I have bones in my faith to stand up. Convictions are a good thing. 
Let's close by looking at the paradox. Eli chose the easy road in that situation. And I feel for the guy, I really do. He chose the easy road. Guess what it ended up in? A hardest of consequences. He rebukes his son, sons. And in verse 25, it says, but they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. God just simply kept their hearts where their hearts were. Their hearts were hard, contempt, treated God with contempt. God just said, I'm going to leave you there because I'm going to put you to death. I had a whole nother point. I'm not going to preach it on the Acharit. Maybe next week. The end result, it's a Hebrew word, the final end. That's what we want. That's what the Bible says is wisdom. These guys were living it up. They were having a great time. They were, you know, getting best of food, cheating on their wives. Everything was like nobody, nothing's happening. But then we see the sight of God. And as we soon will see, things are going to get very hard for Hophni, Phineas, and Eli. The easy road often takes us down the hardest roads. Amen? Have you ever found that out? The easiest road takes us to the hardest road. Sometimes the shortcut is the longest cut. And doing the right thing, even when it's hard, when we do it out of a desire to honor God, eventually gets easier and takes us to a pleasant place. Verse 26, now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. God's favor rested on Samuel people's favor began to rest on Samuel. As we close, I want to ask the band to come up. We're going to sing a song that's new to me, but it's all about honoring God, and I think it's an appropriate song to close with. You might know it. Here's what, here's what I want to close. Honoring God begins, and I would say begins and ends, really, with believing and trusting in Jesus Christ as our Savior. Listen, God gave his son for our sins and we honor God so much when we place our faith in him. When we trust in Jesus, God's heart swells with love for his son. His son obeyed him perfectly and he is well pleased. And he, because Jesus honored his father, God has honored him and exalted him. When we love Jesus, we're like flowing in the affections and the heart of God who loves his son so much. And it's like when we say, I love you, Jesus, the Father's saying, yes. When we say, I could never earn your, your acceptance through my righteousness, but I receive the righteousness of Christ and all that he did, the Father says, yes, you are honoring me because you are honoring my son and my heart swells with love for my son. So we begin and end with honoring Jesus. And as we begin a new year, we're still pretty close to it. It's a good time for us to examine our priorities. I hope you are, I am, and want to put God at the top of our priorities, to make time for him, to draw near to him, to obey his word, to honor him. It's a good time. There are a lot of self-help books out there. Some of them are good, some less so. But this one verse holds more power to guide and direct our life to the very best, to the very highest level of success and the most fruitful. 
one verse. Those who honor me, I will honor. Father, we pray that you will help us to honor you in everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen.